Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the marketing podcast for marketers, founders, and tech people who are sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. So as I told you in the last episode, a lot of you don't seem to be aware that we do have a website where you can check all the conversations uh, I have with guests, where you can find out about the resources we mentioned during the episode and other details. It's obviously free to access. You don't have to enter your email address or anything. You can just go to everyonehatesmarketers.com and you will have access to all previous episodes. So I have to admit that the subject we're going to talk about today is pretty foreign to me. Uh, I'm quite a big noob um, at this particular subject, and this is why I've invited somebody who, who knows a thing or two about it. So this, what we're going to dive into today will, will really help you to get more reach, to get more visibility, to get more credibility and trust, and even better SEO. And so it's really something that you could apply in your business uh, tomorrow that will really help you in all of those uh, things. And we're going to talk about digital PR. Uh, which is basically a way to build relationships with content writers and journalists to get mentioned in return by them, right? So my guest is Lexi Mills, and I've discovered her uh, at a conference in Dublin called Learn Inbound. So Lexi, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. No problem at all. So you are regarded as one of the, the experts really in digital PR. Uh, you spoke at many, many, many marketing events, marketing and SEO events in particular, uh, including Learning Bound, as I mentioned. And I was really impressed by, by uh, your expertise. And, and I really can't wait to hear you diving into it. So let's nail in the problem straight away before we start. What would be your own definition of digital PR and how far away was I define, trying to define it a few seconds ago? Oh, well, it's an ongoing debate, especially if you're speaking to PRs or content marketeers or even business owners. Everyone defines it slightly differently because if you consider it like a tool, it's what are you using the tool for? Um, for example, I've used a fork when traveling to comb my hair. It doesn't mean that's what it was designed for. I've used uh, forks as ornaments to keep doors open. And digital PR is very similar. You can use digital PR to build very natural link profiles. You can use digital PR to build referral networks or to shape the nature of a brand or to make a Kickstarter campaign successful, but not for the purpose of getting money, but although it can do that, but perhaps so that you can get an audience that you can really use to draw feedback for your product. Uh, that's one of the sort of biggest shifts in how Kickstarter was initially used to how it's being used now. And PR is very critical to that. But ultimately, I don't really see myself as a PR. I think I die a little bit inside when I'm called a PR and when I'm called an SEO. I don't feel like either. Um, I'm an influence professional, maybe, if that doesn't sound like too much of a silly term. No, People tell it doesn't me they're business like goals. <laughs> oh, well, it can do. It depends what audience and what room you're in. Um, I know, I know about journalists. I know how media works. I understand how the internet works. I'm by no means a phenomenal technical SEO, but I understand enough of it. And I like to put different fields together. I don't like wasted energy at all. Any wasted energy breaks my heart. So I'm always looking at um, marketing campaigns and strategies and thinking, oh, where's there a duplication of effort? 
where is the skills that could be used even better um, and looking for opportunities. So maybe I'm more an opportunist, but that also probably doesn't have some great um, connotations. Ultimately, I use my skills and largely to get coverage for very different reasons. You know, some of my clients will come to me and say, we get all our business from this one article on the Wall Street Journal that was published five years ago. We don't want a volume of coverage. We want more articles just like this. And my job will be not just to do that, but to ask them the question about, do you want one just like this or do you want one better? What do you think made it work? And what do you think would make it work even better than that. So sometimes my job is to push people to be more aspirational um, or interrogate what they want. You know, sometimes people come to me and say, we want 30 pieces of coverage a month. And I'll say, how, how would you like $3 million a month? And they'll give you a funny look. And you're like, well, I could get you 30 pieces of coverage a month, but see this referral you're getting over here? If we've got 30 more of those, things are looking very different next Christmas. So uh, a lot of what I do is asking the right questions. And those questions get us to the right goals. But they also help me find out what is genuinely interesting within the business. And I think that's really important because there's a difference between faking it or making it. And um, making it in PR is about finding a real story and presenting it well at the right time to the right people. And every business has something interesting going on, even if they don't think they do. In fact, the most interesting businesses on the outside are usually really boring on the inside. It's the the businesses that sell toe fungal cream or um, something really random, a, a particular piece of cable that keeps the whole of the world's economy trading networks up that I really love. Um, because that's kind of cool. That's exciting to tell someone that there's something in their reality that they didn't know was uh, holding uh, the glue of their environment together. And so those stories become kind of exciting and you learn something at the same time. You know, there's a, an element of genu genuine enthusiasm that I think you have to have to be a good PR or digital marketeer. And a lot of that is about hacking yourself, not hacking the subject matter or even the client. It's working out how you can bring that out of yourself. And once you've done that, everything else is almost logic and effort. And those two factors thereafter, and you'll solve every problem in front of you. Right. So I think we've nailed, nailed the introduction, uh, pretty well. And, uh, and people know, uh, what they're going to get from the, from this particular episode. So I'm curious to dive into a step-by-step -step sort of a methodology that people can really implement, uh, in their business or, or in their startup or, or, or potentially in their new job next week. So from your experience, and I know it's a tough question. So perhaps we have to, to select a specific, um, problem to solve with, with digital PR. But in your experience, what is the most common way to use digital PR in a business? It's probably easier to answer what is the most common way to misuse it. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, digital PR, I think, probably has more benefit for internal communications than it does for anything else. When you get a great piece of coverage, yes, it might have a link in. Yes, it might build your brand. Yes, it might drive traffic. But what it really does is make a lot of people, especially in startup businesses, go home and be excited about their job. When people are excited, they perform a lot higher. So as much as clients might get excited with us when we get them great coverage, what I get the real thrill from is watching everyone in that office work more productively, more smarter, faster, harder, more in a more integrated fashion as a consequence of being excited and proud because they're 
their firm and what they're working towards has been recognized, which I know that isn't traditionally what most PRs would say, but overarchingly, I think that is probably the greatest benefit. That's actually, that's a very good point. So it actually also empowers uh, people inside the team, inside the company to really be happy to be there and, and, and get another another kick in the ass or like another way to be excited about their job. So let's, let's dive in into a, a step by step and let's, let's imagine a scenario where we have a company that is somewhat, somewhat established. Maybe, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 people in there and they're launching something new, right? Whether it's a, a new project or a new product or new service. And what they're looking to do is to get mentioned in the press because they feel that that might help them in terms of credibility, in terms of reach, uh, which is primarily what they are looking for, right? So let's, let's assume all of that. And finally, to add a little bit of difficulty to this question, let's assume that they have no relationships whatsoever with journalists yet, right? Or content writers. Mm -hmm. So how would you go about maybe landing five key mentions in, in the press or, or, or digitally? How would you go about it step by step? Firstly, I'd be very keen to ask the question of why is it interesting? So what is it about your product that's good? And you have to be really honest with yourself. Because if there isn't anything good, you need to ask yourself, so why did the business build it? Or why are they releasing something that isn't very good? Right. Once you've gone through these questions, you've dug to the bottom. Because um, quite often, we will launch a product when it's not ready. for. It can be to test the market. It can be preemptively to iron out some bugs. Um, there are lots of reasons. It might be that the business is considering growing in that area, but it isn't sure. So it's going to hack together a quick prototype, throw it out there and see what happens. There are lots of reasons. But if you find the real reason, that's the beginning of your story. Because if you try and fake it, telling a journalist that a piece of software is awesome and bugless isn't going to rock. It's not going to fly and it's not going to get you coverage. But the real reason will be of interest. So that's the first thing to identify. And you might need to drink a bit of alcohol, go for a long <laughs> walk, have a couple of arguments before you get to the bottom of it, because it can be hard to accept that what you're launching isn't great. But that's more often than not the case. Um, and then I would write down all the bullet points. Why are you doing it? Um, how could it be better? How is it already great? What are you planning to do as a priority? And what was the incentive behind it? Those factors... One, one or two of those will be super strong. The next thing you do is I would crowdsource within the office. Who do you think would be interested in the media? Because often we think, okay, I have to build a big list of media titles. No, you probably already are reading the press from the right journalists at the right publications related to your business. And if you're not, somebody in the business is. So asking those questions can really get you a lot further forward a lot quicker. Um, with regards to building a media list. Let me cut you right there because you said a lot of interesting stuff. And obviously you said you you know your stuff very well and, and it seems almost uh, normal to mention all of that. But you mentioned so many interesting things. So let's break it down. The first step is actually the why. And I love it because it's about the, the bullshit filter. It's like, stop trying to sell something that is that is shit, that, that, that you don't like, that you know is not good, that 
or not good enough at least, right? So I think it's the first rule of good marketing. Good marketing starts with a good product and a good service, uh, a product that people will actually enjoy using, a product that people will actually tell others about, right? So I very much like the fact that you mentioned that as step one, and that makes a lot of sense. And then you mentioned a lot of questions that you need to ask yourself. So perhaps you could repeat them as a step two. Okay, I'll try to remember them. <laughs> um, a lot of this comes so um, so naturally um, when you've done it for a long time, but I have been trying to get them into lists. So ask yourself why you did it. Okay. Um, because the why is often more in- interesting than the what. Because in this world, uh, most things have already been invented in some way, shape, or form. Um, if you look at um, uh, IP law, you'll learn that very quickly. Um so it's, but the why that the why you're doing it and the why you're launching it is probably more likely to be a good hook for the media. Can you give uh, us an example? Okay, so there's a um, there's a service, there's a artificial intelligence remote assistant service, and I met with them a little while ago, and I thought, wow, they're calling this AI. Why are they doing that? This is an AI. Okay? Like I think. Yeah, I've got apps. Uh, I think my time tracking app has got more artificial intelligence than their service. But then they spoke to me about where they're going and where the market is going and what their aspirations are and how they've built the base of their technology so that it can self-grow. And that was really cool because what it did was say it, it started the discussion or the theme of how do you build a company or a tool or a product that's ready to grow with artificial intelligence. And that's really interesting. Their little assistant service, not super interesting, but how they're thinking about it is. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's 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 a very good example. I'm sorry, I just I just cut you while you were going through no, the go next. No, go right step. ahead. <laughs> I, I'm a PR at, at heart, and I will talk and talk enthusiastically about lots of things. If you don't interrupt me, um, we would never get very far. I'm always happy to be interrupted, and I think when it comes to the creative process, it's in it's important to be comfortable with interrupting other people as well. It's one of my key tips for brainstorms is that it's okay to be rude and interrupt each other when you get an idea. Because if you don't say it straight away, it goes away. Good point, indeed. So the why is the first step. And, and if you don't have the why, then, then the rest uh, doesn't uh, follow. But how do you get the why? Because I, I, I assume it's quite difficult to, to do that. How would you encourage people to do it? You speak to the founders. You just, you've got to go back to who briefed who. You're just following a train of command until you get to the head honcho and you say, why did you launch your company? And they'll have their media answer. But as a somebody who's trying to do good PR, you don't want their media answer. You're, you're not looking to give that answer straight to a journalist. You're looking for their real answer. The one thing I always find is that a lot of entrepreneurs started their business because it, to some degree they felt they were unemployable. Not unsmart, not without aptitude um, or value, but somewhat unemployable for some reason or another. Mm-hmm. And I, that always makes me giggle. But then you start to speak to them about their skills and they'll say, well, I had this skill and this skill and this contact. And you say, ah, so why did you think that was an opportunity? Okay, so what made you stop doing what you're doing and put time into here? So you're usually looking for the founder. But you know, sometimes it's also the tech guys, like um, all girls. Let's uh, not be gender biased there. But the tech <laughs> people can often drive the nature of a product because – 
somebody will have one idea and they'll say, actually, there's this really cool piece of code that allows us to do something extraordinary that's never been done before or not been used in this field. So just speak to everyone. Just in Britain, we do a lot of tea drinking. Um, take everyone a cup of tea, spend some time with them, and you'll find out why every individual person thinks they're doing it. And then you'll be able to get a consistent answer because there'll be a thread that goes through everything. Great. Okay. So that's a fantastic uh, first step and first exercise to go through. And then, as I said before, you ask, you mentioned a few questions that were really interested, interesting. So do you remember which ones? So um, specific questions about what you're asking journalists? No, you, 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 ask, um, you, you came up with a few follow-up questions once uh, after you said, why uh, is the company here? And then you say, and then you need to think about this one and this one and this one. So it's, um, why is the company here? Why is it here now? And why are you launching now? Okay. Um, because the now is the key point. Because in journalism, if it doesn't need to be done now, it'll get put to the bottom, bottom of the pile. And it may get done tomorrow, but it's got less of a chance. Um, urgency is pretty important to coverage. Um, it's almost as important to coverage as having something that's clickbaity, which... Um, is soul destroying really the nature of clickbait and press, but everyone has to make a living. Um, so you're asking yourself these questions about why journalists would want it now. And then you go and you say, who would be interested? Who do you already know? And who, what publications do they write for? And then you look at what are they writing now? What are they written recently? And one of the best tips I can give you is to look at the comments the comment, if you know one or two journalists that you think would be interested in your product or story, look at the comments on the bottom of their articles because it will tell you what questions weren't answered in that article, um, what things are contentious. And that's often the starting point of how you put your product with maybe those questions and then go back to that journalist. And the great thing is they're kind of already invested in that story because it was their article that got the comment on. Mm. All right. So. Once again, you're, de you're delivering so much value in a, in a few seconds. I feel I have to really dig into all of that. So you know the why, you know the why now in particular, why should people care right now and not tomorrow? And then you mentioned something before, uh, which is ask around in your business, the, the publications that your, your team reads, right? Yes. Right. So you ask and them. And this is specifically true for small businesses. Um, bigger businesses, it, this, this tactic is slightly less helpful, but any business up to sort of 75 people, I would argue that this tactic is very effective. Okay. And for the sake of the, of explaining here, if listeners are, are part of companies that are bigger, what, what is the alternative way of doing it once uh, your, your business is bigger? Then you're probably looking to have a specific PR person in house and it's their job to know these things. So they will go about researching them. You'll have news alerts for your own business, for competitive businesses and competitive products. So over time, whether the PR is brand new to PR or if it's been in it a while, they'll know very qu quickly what publications, what journalists are covering what, or they should do. But it's a little bit harder when you're a startup business and you can't justify a full-time PR or you can't justify hiring an agency because you don't feel like you're going to be able to pay them enough to get the right value out of them. So knowing which publications your staff are reading and the journalists they know is probably more important. Mm -hmm. um, and because people don't work in startups because there's phenomenal pay. People work in startups because 
there's a family feel because it isn't something they believe in, they want to build. Um, so in that sense, they're actively interested in the field or more likely to be. Right. So that, that's very, very uh, interesting. So you make a list of those publications and how many should you have? I mean, I know it's a, it's a how long is a piece of string type of question, but roughly when you are a, a younger business, a smaller business, how many publications should you start looking at? So I really think it's not about volume, but some people really like volume. I have some clients who would just be happy to have 60 pieces of coverage on domain authority of 30 to 60, then 10 pieces of coverage on a domain authority of 90 or above. Can you please define domain authority for us briefly? Oh, that's the um, domain authority. It's um, a MOS metric used to do, um, to indicate um, the strength of a website. So a national news site of like the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, BBC would be a domain authority of 90 or above. Um, the smaller websites that are still influential, such as Entrepreneur Handbook, will probably have a domain authority of around 70. And then as you get, as something becomes less well-known and less established, it'll have a lower domain authority. Um, so it just means the strength of the website, but it's often an indicator of influence. Not all the time, but some uh, quite a lot of the time. Okay, thanks for clarifying. That's okay. Um, so I I struggle with what is the right length. Um, I think it's why I'm asking yourself which publications are going to do what for you. So if I was helping someone raise Series A or Series B, I know that I have to be on TechCrunch, Engadget, probably wired. Um, Forbes would be helpful. I honestly don't see that much referral traffic coming through from Forbes uh, across my client base over the last few years, but it makes investors happy. So if I was looking for investment, I'd be making sure that we're featured there. Wall Street Journal has great brand um, equity. But if you're in the blockchain space, which is you know obviously a, a, a big topic this week with mm -hmm. um, Bitcoin um, rising so much in value, you'll realize that coin market cap is significantly more influential than the Wall Street Journal. So if you're looking for to create influence, you'd go to coin market cap. If you're looking for the, brand, the sense of um, brand integrity, you'd go to the Wall Street Journal. And this is one of the biggest differences with building a media list in modern day, is that you know in bygone times, your national news outlets were the most influential place you could be. Now they're not. And we're having to use a variety of metrics to work out actually what will drive behavioral change, what will drive actual influence, what will drive traffic, as opposed to what is just a big, cool brand that makes you feel excited and proud. Um, and a lot of the nationals struggle in these niche markets to have the same level of influence. Um, it's different if you're consumer-facing. So if you've got a gadget that is you know, for mass consumers, then your nationals are certainly going to have a lot of sway. But yes, if you're launching a new Bitcoin company, um, you might, or a um, blockchain company, you might find that a lot of the really big influential publications do not do nearly as much for you as uh, a couple of websites that probably look a bit dodgy, but have a huge following. And I think it's important to separate those into two different lists. So I would probably initially put about 10 on each and tier them according to the ones that you think are going to be most important to your business first. Um, and then you start calling them. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having a quick chat. And you can have that chat briefly through Twitter or get through email. There are lots of ways to have an initial chat. But especially if you're a founder doing your own PR or a very small team, 
my experience is that journalists are quite open to that and even quite like it because they don't have this interface of a PR to fight through. Uh, but once you start speaking to them, you'll say, hey, we've got something coming up and I just wanted um, to uh, feel out the story with you or have a quick chat with you. because It looks to me like something that would really um, suit your your nature of your writing well. Yeah, and then uh, the journalist will tell you yes or no. Sorry to cut you because you said so many interesting things before and I wanted to make this point. Um, so the step one, we said understanding the why. The step two would be to really ask around and identify the, the type of publication that you want to go for. But th the important thing that you said, and I think we need to make a strong point about it, uh, most of the time it's probably better and easier as well to try to get niche websites that have a certain influence over your ideal kind of target market. And, and you, you mentioned the blockchain community. If you do launch a startup around blockchain, it is, it makes a lot of sense to, to follow, uh, and to reach out to those, uh, blockchain type of communities instead of just trying to reach those big, big, big publications like the New York Times, right? Yes. Uh, I'm not saying that you shouldn't reach out to the New York Times, but it's important to remember that big brand influence in publishing is not the same as niche influence, especially in emerging markets. Right. And you said something else as well, um, which is quite interesting. So you identify your publication, you identify the journalists that, that speak about your subject, and then you look at the comments uh, in the comment section. So can you dive in a little bit more into this and how to find the right angles based on the type of comments that people post under each article? Well, I mean, some of them can be really funny and will be really obvious. Um, there'll be maybe, uh, if we're going to take a really naughty example, what about the example of putting artificial intelligence inside sex dolls? Um, there's a lot of articles out there written on that. And if you read the comments, you will see what the biggest arguments are that people have around this subject matter. So if you're an AI company or perhaps a, um, a sex toy company, you would be able to preempt the arguments, the adversity, but also what people are looking for in a product just by reading them. They will just jump out. There was a, there was another company that I worked with recently that I'll have to let be anonymous. They were a fashion brand and they got some coverage on a national news website. And they rang and said, hey, Lexi, can you get us some more? And I got, I don't like trying to get more coverage after something's been live for a while. That can be more challenging than just getting all your ducks in a row ahead of time, which we can talk about what that looks like in a moment. But I looked at it and I read through the comments and there are a lot of, there are a lot of comments. Um, this, this article was about the role of men and women play on dates and um, what is important, uh, what do men notice versus don't notice. And um, it was a little bit of a social experiment that they had um, created. And what I saw in the comments is men were talking about, well, what, is, what does it mean to be a man? Um, and at what point are you being um, the ideal type of man? At what point are you almost being um, not strong enough and, you know, historically dominant and the, the way the breadwinner type persona, you know, where's the balance um, and how attentive are you supposed to be and how attentive do you be before you get creepy? And I just thought, oh, this is really interesting. What we're seeing here is that there's actually a, an issue around um, 
what it means to be male in modern day and what it means to be female or feminine. You know, and that was what I went with for the next story. So it was often it was really very obvious. If they're contentious, you will see it. it there'll be a pattern, and you can just look at them and see, oh, look, fifty percent of them are about this. And then you do a little Google and see if anyone else is actually looking at that subject. The chances are they're not if they're fresh articles. I love this because I've I've literally never heard it before ever. And this is a type of tips and tactics and uh, and things that are really based on humans as well, really based on people, really based on on what people think. Uh, and you use that as a way to find an angle, right? Would you call that an angle, a subject? Yes. Um, so I wrote a little note down before we started chatting. One of what people always ask me is, what do journalists want, and how do they want it delivered to them? But the real thing is, journalists serve are the humans. So if you focus on people, you naturally get halfway to what journalists want, at least. Um, so that's really important. So the angle is not what journalists want. The angle is what do people want? And the journalists will find something that people don't even know they want. I, to me, that is what is beautiful about journalism. It's minds trained to see what people want, see what they haven't seen or haven't seen they want, and then put the two together and present it well. Um, Uh, that's largely what a lot of journalism is. Uh, so, yes, you're looking for the angle. You're looking for the thing that makes your product relevant to someone and their audience right now. Yeah, I, I, that's a fantastic point to make. And this is the point of the podcast overall about good marketing and focusing on people, building strong relationships. We are not here to try to hack PR or try to get uh, in front of uh, journalists at any cost. We're here to to try to build relationships. My best journalist contacts are now my best friends. They weren't initially, but I didn't actively go out for lots of coffees and pitch journalists that I had nothing in common with that covered things that I wasn't interested in. I naturally meandered my career towards things that I'm naturally interested in, which meant that my job was to chat to really smart people about stuff that I was excited about. It's not a bad job to have. And we all have to do what we call earning our stripes along the way, where you might be promoting something that you're not super into. But I always went back to that how, that stage of how do I find this interesting? What is of value here? And then I would ring a journalist up and say, hey, this isn't a, a blow it out the water, change the world product, but it's got value and this is the value I see. And because I've always been as honest as I possibly could be because it's hard to be honest with yourself let alone with others sometimes but uh, I've always tried to be super honest so the relationships I've built have a lot of integrity behind them and so when it comes to building media relationships the most important thing is honesty with yourself and honesty with journalists and they move around and they might ring you up and say oh goodness I got paid a lot to move to this really boring publication and you'll be like don't worry I, I've got something that will make it interesting for you and you know you package something up and send it over But in the same way we have to promote products we don't like, sometimes they end up at publications they don't like. But it is about being honest. Um, and so by looking for a real angle, a real story, real value, you give them that, and they will be a friend for life. You know, when you're doing Kickstarter PR, your contacts become really important because a lot of Kickstarters get delayed. And one the first article often sets the tone for a wave of coverage, or at least the first three articles do. So you want to make sure that the first three articles coming out are as close to what you want presented to the rest of the world as possible. And that's where a good contact can come in because you can bring them up and say, hey, 
our, the delivery of our product is going to be late, but this is why. So, and you explain, and maybe that's of interest. Maybe there's something going on in the economy. Maybe there's something going on in international shipping. But you can get some honest feedback on how that's going to be spun and prepare for it. So I'm a massive believer in be fully honest with every journalist that you can. That doesn't mean you tell them everything, but it does mean you don't spin things that aren't true. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I love that. Um, so once we've we've identified those journalists and once, once we have identified our angle, you started to mention that early on, uh, even though we had some audio uh, difficulty or internet difficulty, um, you mentioned Twitter as, as one of the first steps. Yes. Uh, I have to be honest. I think other PRs are far more successful at connecting journalists over Twitter than I am. And founders are. Anyone who actually worked, when I've been in-house, I found Twitter a lot more helpful. Uh, but I, I've seen it happen across my team. My team are brilliant at it. I'm a little bit more old school. I like to get on the phone. Uh, I'll ring someone. Um, I actually had a launch party in New York, and I didn't think that I had quite as many journalists coming as I wanted. So I just went and stood outside the New York Times. I printed up some invites, and it didn't feel fabulous being like the creepy person outside the gates to the New York Times asking people if they're journalists and then inviting them to my party. <laughs> but it got four or five more people there, and I was happier doing that. That felt more like me. I like to meet people in person and I like them to see that the whites of my eyes and know that I'm honestly inviting them to something that I think is great. Um, so that's how I work. Twitter sometimes makes me a bit nervous. Um, but I have followed journalists. I've retweeted journalists uh, and I find that there are journalists I speak to and they'll be like, yeah, you always retweet my stuff. I'm like, that's because your stuff is cool. We should go for a coffee. And they'll be like, okay. So there are many ways to get in touch with someone through Twitter, but you'll often find, again, you know, we're talking about going internally and saying what publications, what journalists should we contact. You'll often find that in a company of 35, you will have 35 media contacts without doubt, because at some point someone's retweeted a journalist or even contested something a journalist has said and ended up in a conversation. If you put all of those in a list, you'll be amazed at what you have. Uh, this was a tactic I was taught actually for new business. When you're trying to drum up new sales leads and you know what, you know what clients you want to go after, you just ask everyone in the office who has a contact at any of those companies. And more often than not, you can build, you know, you get four or five contacts. So uh, I apply the same thing to journalism and um, PR. And you can ask one journalist to introduce you to another if you're close enough. Um, and that's not a terrible tactic either because then you know your email's getting through if it's an email introduction. So often the worst thing with email outreach, especially when it's cold outreach, is you don't even know if someone got your email. Um, and if they did, if they opened it. And you can use some software to track that, but using social media uh, can be a lot more effective. Right. So we do start to contact them. We do find ways to contact them. I'm interested in what do you typically send them? And I know you're probably going to say, knowing you a bit now, knowing, knowing what you believe in, you're probably going to say, just be, just build a relationship, just start a conversation, right? But typically, what are the key information you start to give to those people, um, to, to get to where you want to go? Sure. Um, so I would, I'll just give you kind of a bullet point list. I'd say, hi. 
whoever the person's name is. I never put dear or two. It sounds a little formal. Um, I want them to know that they can have a conversation with me. So hi, whoever you are. Um, I hope this finds you well. Don't ask them if they're well. You don't actually care. You don't know who they are. <laughs> you ask people how they are with a question mark later on. Journalists are really into grammar. They're really into punctuation. You, you've got to get that bit right. So I always say, I hope this finds you well. I know you've been writing on this. Our company is doing this. These are the key facts I found. In, I thought you would find interesting. I also thought these were a couple of angles you could take. Just thought I'd throw it out there. We're not ready to announce officially yet, but I thought it would be good for us to open the conversation ahead of time. Um, any chance you fancy um, a coffee and a slice of cake? If you're too busy, I'm happy to come bring it to you. <laughs> now, the trick there is to say something really specific. If you ask someone out for coffee, boring. If you ask someone out for lemon drizzle cake, you'll probably end up going for coffee. But there's something about being very specific about what you're asking them to come meet you for uh, that I've just found immensely effective. I've even asked people to come meet me for fish and chips, um, <laughs> which I know is terribly British. But everyone gets asked out for a coffee just by the by nature of the fact that you're specifying something different. I think there's a bit of uh, the same thing when you talk about time and when you ask, can we meet at 4 p.m.? Instead, you say, can we meet at 4.20 p.m. or 4.25 p.m.? And that leads to more answers. And I think it's linked to what you said, uh, the visual, the visualization of things. It's like when you when you mentioned the, the piece of, of lemon cake, people start to visualize that in their head. And I think that makes their mind work. It doesn't turn it off. It actually turns it on. Right. I think it's um, about the journalist knowing that you're not another cardboard cutout as well. That the fact that you're so I've invited people to cat cafes and you know what? They might not be interested in my story, my company or me, but they might be interested in a cat cafe. And I, I'm willing to throw whatever I've got to get a story out there. And I know if I've done my research correctly, that journalist will be interested. And maybe I've used the wrong language to explain the story or maybe I pitched it to them on the wrong day. But you've got to give someone an incentive to give you the most pre precious commodity they have, and that's their time. And what I like about what you said is the fact that you need to to plan things in advance. So don't hope to get uh, somebody to, to, uh, to agree to write something about you tomorrow if you've never built a relationship with them before. And, and in the way you reach out to them, you actually mention, listen, it's not for now, but I'm just starting to build a relationship with you, right? Yeah, well, there's something about not being desperate. It works really well in dating and it works really well in media relations. The moment you're desperate, Nothing will work. Um, so I do a lot of PR and SEO training, and I do uh, with uh, I do a lot of sort of similes to what it's like in dating. Um, because dating, you're trying to attract a person. If you if you put urgency, people smell your urgency. Um, they get and they'll react to it, and maybe they're pressured. So your urgency makes them stressed, but your urgency can make you seem needy. You don't want to seem needy. You want to seem cool, calm, and in control. And that is far more enigmatic um, as a PR or as somebody trying to get a date. So by becoming a good PR, you probably get quite good at dating, I would imagine. <laughs> that might work really well for a lot of, uh, a lot of people. Um, right. So that's been a really, really insightful talk about digital PR in particular. Thank you so much for playing the game and getting into a step-by-step -step, uh, kind of scenario. Um, 
let's move on to marketing in general. Why do you think, what do you think marketers should learn today that will really help them in the next 10 years, 20 years, or even 50 years? Well, so this answer might not be uh, what you would expect. Um, I think we should learn about wellness. What does it mean to be well? What does it mean to be unwell? If you know what it's like to be stressed, then you might be able to communicate better with a journalist who is stressed or an audience that's stressed. But once we understand what it means to be well, I think we can make ourselves well. And if you can make yourself well, you can make others well. Um, and I also think we should perhaps aspire to learn far less about actual marketing and far more about people, which kind of comes back to the wellness thing. At the end of the day, we're trying to sell to people, right? We can use tactics, tools, technical knowledge to get better at finding the right people to sell to. But at the end of the day, we need to know what it means to be human. And what it means to be human is changing because it's influenced by the technology uh, and the world around us. Then technology and connectivity is advancing at an unprecedented rate. You know, as a point of reference, I've had more friends in media have uh, anxiety, depression, um, signed off work issues due to mental health in the last two and a half years than I have in my entire career put together. Understanding that a lot of that came from the digital overload that's happening to them was super interesting to me. They thought, ah, we're not coping the way technology is influencing us. And if we can watch that, we can get it ahead of time. That helps us isolate the technologies that A, are getting through, that we haven't become numb to, that we haven't deleted off our phone for wellness, because I think that's going to be an increasing issue. Um, but it also means that we know what people are looking for and needing. So I know that's not traditionally what you would hear um, someone should learn about, but learn about people. Um, there's a lovely book I recently read called The Happiness Advantage. And uh, it's a, a scientist who was working at Harvard. And he did a lot of research into happiness. And he came to the conclusion with a lot of data behind it that happy people are successful. Successful people aren't necessarily happy, which means whether you want to be a good marketeer, a good parent, um, a good human, if you make yourself happy, you're going to be more likely to be successful at it. Wow, that's really powerful stuff there. And, and a lot of guests would mention focusing on people. But not a lot would mention uh, focusing on on wellness. So thank you so much for for mentioning this. And mental health is also absolutely critical uh, to people's behavior, especially in this day and age where the digital and the tech thing are everywhere. Uh, people are drowning in data. People are drowning in in the amount of stuff, uh, in the amount of screens, in everything that they receive every day. So thanks for for making this mention. What are the top three resources you would recommend to marketers in, in, in particular? Uh, and you just mentioned one, actually, the, the happiness book. Um, so do you have any other that you would recommend? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how I got this in my head a couple of weeks ago, but I decided to research the history of different marketing um, channels. So I went back in time and found the first, well, what is believed to be the first advert, And then I read all about people's reactions to the first advert. Um, and then I went back and I thought, I wonder how people reacted to the television when it was first launched. And, um, and then I looked at the mobile phone and I would say 
it's not maybe a specific book on this, but just think of something that we have in our world today that wasn't there 30, 40, 50, or 100 years ago, and just spend a couple of hours on the internet reading the reactions to it. Because some of the letters to the newspapers and things were published, you know, people talking about the television's never going to take off. How ridiculous is this? Um, and I mean, another really good one is a book called The Chocolate Wars, which is all about the history of chocolate marketing, which, I mean, firstly, I know chocolate sells because I've done a lot of PR stunts related to chocolate. Um, but the history of chocolate marketing is fantastic because chocolate actually was a product that never existed uh, um, as a consumer, uh, mass consumer item uh, initially. So in some ways, it's the precursor um, or what gave us the precedent for uh, emerging technology marketing. So the Chocolate Wars, old school book, but you'll learn an awful lot. And, you know, we spend a lot of time trying to learn in our own industry, but taking knowledge from another industry that's more advanced and more established, because marketing is relatively young as an industry, but taking that knowledge and applying it to our own, that's where you really get gold dust. So I always encourage my team to go off and go study psychology, go to a random lecture, go learn a bit about, you know, how many planets there are in the universe. Or um, I went to a lecture a couple of weeks ago about what we're going to learn from the future of telescopes about our universe. I have no idea how that's going to be helpful to me, but I'm sure it will in a PR stunt at some point one day. Um, so step outside of your industry is the most important thing I could probably advise anyone to do. That's fantastic advice. You're really delivering some, some proper value, um, in a short amount of time. And I want to thank you for sticking with me throughout this conversation. We had some audio internet difficulty probably coming from my side. I mean, definitely coming from my side. So thank you for, for sticking around. Thank you for keeping uh, being professional throughout. That's really appreciated. Um, how can listeners connect with you and learn more from you? Well, you, there's a sign up to my mailing list on my website. My website is still in beta, but, um, I would love to have you sign up. Uh, I'm pretty good at replying to tweets. Um, if you just tweet me and I'll follow you and I, we can have a DM conversation. And my, uh, personal email address is actually in my Twitter profile. So if you want to drop me an email, I'm really interested in the challenges that different people have because you only know the challenges you're facing. And it might be that I have a, you know, a box solution I can hand to you. And if I don't, then I'm going to be really interested in your challenge because it'll be something that I want to try and fix. So please do get in contact. What's your website address? It's leximills.net. L-E-X-I-M for mother, I-L-L-S.net. And what's your Twitter handle? At Lexi Mills. All right, perfect. Lexi, once again, you've been an absolute pleasure to deal with. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Have a lovely evening. Bye. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email lists uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a, as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you 
my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday. So don't be afraid to subscribe. I'm not going to spam you. And you can always unsubscribe for sure, if you wish. The second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback. We know that this show is not perfect yet, and we always... Uh, can improve so you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com good or bad please feel free to send me an email and the last thing i like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode please share it to your friends your colleagues or whoever might like it and also please review it on itunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast because if you leave us a five-star review it means that more people would be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker So thank you so much once again and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content is coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.